0: This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson.
1: Hello, basketball fans. It's your favorite time of the week. It's a new episode. That's right. Of your ESPNW women's basketball podcast, Around the Rim. I'm your host, China Robinson, joined by my fabulous and fantastic producer, Tariqa Foster Brasby. And, um, it's post all star. We're coming off of WNBA All-Star Weekend, so we have a lot to discuss. We have a great show lined up for you. Um, We will have on our show the back-to-back three-point shooting contest winner, Allie Quigley. Um, Not just winner, But record setter, Uh, that's right, the Chicago Sky Guard did it again and in dramatic fashion at halftime of the WNBA All-Star Game. We will have Allie on the show to just talk about Allie because she's – the bomb. She's, awesome. she's pretty much a machine. Yeah. Um, Also on the show, as promised, we will continue our conversation about girls basketball recruiting. We have ESPNW's scout and evaluator, lead scout and evaluator for girls basketball, Dan Olson, who will join the show to talk about all, co- all kinds of things what's going wrong with summer recruiting, what's going right, some of the top prospects that we should be keeping our eyes on. um, And we will continue to have Dan on the show to expand our knowledge of what's happening um, in all levels of the sport. Also in the fourth quarter, our growing the game spotlight will feature none other than ESPN coordinating producer, Rodney Vaughn. And um, Rodney has been in charge of the WNBA. I think it's his third season now. Um, we have seen great growth for a number of reasons in the ratings and viewership for WNBA on ESPN, but a lot of it has to do with Rodney's leadership and what he's done. So we'll talk to Rodney a little bit, especially coming off of uh, WNBA All-Star that was up 20% on ABC. So congrats to everyone that was involved. And speaking of All-Star, we're going to go ahead and just jump into the first quarter because we have a lot to recap. Let's go, Tarika.
0: First quarter.
1: To get us started on our All-Star Weekend recap, here are some sounds from the WNBA All-Star Game.
2: Come on, come on! We won! We won! We won! We won! We won! I've I've never won on this call before. We're going to press in the
3: All-Star Game. We're pressing. She's been waiting for this her whole life.
1: I'm going to need a little heavy three points, all right? Second half.
3: Put her in. Feed her. MVP. Guys, all threes from now on. Three ball.
1: We have an understanding. There's no elbows. Yeah, but there's no elbows. Because I'm like, Liz. She's like, I didn't mean that. (laughs) Come on, y'all. Good run, Angel. I wanted that backboard. Let me have a win on this call for once.
2: Come on. Come on, tiger. Stuffing up my shoes, Joel. Good.
1: Hit that. Back in this game. This is a good group.
3: Take a timeout, Sandy. Back in the game. We gotta sound the game. Yeah, we're really big right now.
4: Yeah. So
1: I got point guard. Run the play! That looked
3: good. Come on! Don't dunk it!
1: So in those clips you were hearing the voices of Liz Cambage, Candace Parker, Sue Bird, Elena Deladon, and so many others as they were mic'd up for sound during ESPN's broadcast. And the weekend's event started with Friday night um, where, I mean, Minnesota did a tremendous job just across the board, but they had the orange carpet event where players and everyone comes together to kind of kick off all-star weekend ESPN had a hour long special. If you have not seen it, it is available on watch ESPN um, where team Deladon and team Parker came together, um, came to set with Ryan, Rebecca and Holly. And it was just a fun time Friday night. It's always a good time. And then Saturday is obviously the game, but Trika, I have tons of takeaways. I wish you were there. I was there. So my observations are a little different. Um, but tell me what kind of things stood out post All-Star to you.
2: Well, um, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm definitely still in my feelings, but it's all good. Um, I was definitely impressed with Maya Moore, of course. Um, she led Team Parker and. Can I just throw out for the record that I kind of called Team Parker was going w- to win the WNBA All-Star game. They got the victory. It's all good though. So yeah, she, um, she led them to the victory, 119, 112. Um, she's got her third straight All-Star MVP award, which is nuts, but it's expected because it's Maya. Um, she's actually the only player in the WNBA history to win three straight All-Star MVP awards. And she joins Lisa Leslie as the only player to win the award three times. So shout out to Maya Moore for being awesome. Um, also, I thought Liz Cambage's performance was great. She actually recorded the seventh dunk in all-star game history. Um, and if you listen to her, she says that she wanted to shoot a three, and Candace was like, nah, B, you gotta dunk the ball. <laughs> so that was pretty awesome. Christy Tolliver, she had a game high of twenty three points. Like she really showed out, which actually ties. She tried to yeah. bring back. And you, you know, know what? what? She had an
1: attitude because She lost the three-point shooting contest, and so she was on a mission. And anytime Christy Tolliver gets in that zone – you could forget about it's it.
2: It's a rap and you could tell she had an attitude too. Like she was really trying to be a good sport about it. But that's just a competitor that is mm-hmm. Christy. She was like, nah, i yes. I'm upset. <laughs> so um <laughs> Asia Wilson, to be honest, I think if Team Deladon had won, Asia Wilson might have been in the category for MVP because she balled out for her rookie all star game. She had eighteen points, second most points by a rookie in all star game history. Um, which again is Shoni Schimmel, who did it in 2014, with 29 points. So I felt like the All-Star Game was amazing. Wish I had been there, but it was such a great broadcast, and you did such an awesome job. So what were your takeaways being in the Target Center that you could probably not hear anything in?
1: (laughs) Yes. Holly Rowe so accurately described the environment to start the game. She had her decimal meter out, and anytime you go to a game at Target Center, I feel like it's just – extra loud but going back to even practices on uh friday there was just so many people there i mean the support minnesota did a fantastic job um again going back to friday night glenn and becky taylor um you know were just just having them as as the owners of both the Lynx and the timberwolves in the building was huge um rasmussen college uh was was great to step up as sponsors for um a lot of the events and things that happened so just shout out to cheryl reeve um her entire staff the front office and all of that it was just amazing but yeah the crowd was great i mean it it was it was electric and the introductions were fantastic the Mm -hmm. in-house programming for those intros was great um, Maya Moore, no surprise to me that she got MVP. I say this about Maya and Tamika all the time. You know, yes, she now surpassed Tamika Catchings, having garnered more points in in WNBA All-Star history than any other player. Um, she passed Tamika Catchings because she and Tamika Catchings don't see this as an All-Star game. Two of, I think, the biggest competitors ever to touch the floor Tamika and Maya warm up like it's a real game. Mm-hmm. Like uh everybody else is like, "Oh yeah, you know, fooling around laughing. This is a real game for Tamika. It's a real game for Maya." So, all of these MVP awards that Maya has gotten in All-Star is because when the game is on the line, she is not playing anymore it's not a game okay it's like real competition so there were a lot of other great performances Skylar Diggins Smith you know was, was fantastic as well we talked about Christy Tolliver she would have been in the conversation at team Deladon won which that's another discussion can you get the MVP to the losing team but anyway mm-hmm. it was so <laughs> fitting that Maya ended up getting it um the announcement was made that Vegas will host All-Star next year, which is major news. Um, MGM has done a great job and everything they've done so far with the Aces and their marketing and promotion of the league and just all the way around. So for them to get All-Star next year, uh, is, is big news and it's going to be so fun. So it looking is. forward to that. Um, there were a lot of other side events that happened like um, you know, Maya did a win with justice event, which I hope to get into um in some later shows. But basically Maya Moore has built a platform around our criminal justice system and what's wrong with it and what needs to be fixed. So she combined forces with, you know, Jordan Brandon and a lot of other entities to um to do a program that I was grateful to be a part of. Um obviously Nike, Adidas, you know, they had events there. I wanted to say that voting overall for the All Star game was up forty four percent. So there are more people that were engaged in, you know, voting for who they wanted to get in and, you know, it was more competitive. And I thought the new format with Team Deladon and Team Parker having two captains and picking teams was fantastic, you know, and I also liked that there was no East and West that you know, it's just the be- whatever players people thought should be there, um, regardless of conference. Um, uh, position wise, we'll we'll have to continue to have those conversations. You know, we as we said, yes, Tiffany Hayes got snubbed. How can we prevent those kind of things? But I just think the involvement and the overall engagement and the trash talking um
4: mm-hmm.
1: uh, was great. So a couple other little things. Um Lisa Borders did do a press conference. So if you have a chance to go online and read that, you know, you're always wondering about where the WNBA is headed as far as leadership in different areas. Uh, Lisa did have a press conference and we may unpack some more of that and shows to come. I did miss the presence of Lindsay Whalen. I just feel like I've never been in Minnesota and not seen Lindsay Whalen. So I did think about her. i also th- thought about Kevin Garnett and how much he has done for the WNBA. I wish he was courtside. I think that really was something that needed to happen. Um, but going back to Lindsey, Rebecca uh, Rebecca Lobo's husband, Steve Russian, wrote a great, great piece on Lindsey coming into the All-Star Game. So you can go to Sports Illustrated and check that out. But like we said, viewership is up almost 20% for the All-Star Game. Some other positive metrics that were reported during All-Star Weekend, ESPN2 and NBA TV uh, ratings are up 35%. Um, sales for merchandise are up 50%. So, still showing a lot, a lot of growth, uh, for the WNBA. And one last takeaway. Um, you know, this has been a difficult season for the players. And I think everyone needs to, to understand that a 14 week season, which was 17 weeks last year condensed because of the world championships coming up in the fall. Um, It's been a grind, the back-to-back games, you know, flying to get to these arenas. Like these players are really putting their all into making this an amazing season. It's been a record-breaking season despite all of that. So just want to send some love to the players and all that they're having to endure to give us such a great product. And um, thank you for giving us such a great all-star experience.
4: Second quarter, Inside the huddle.
1: All right, fans. We are going inside the huddle in the second quarter, and we were fortunate enough to snag arguably the hottest player right now, the WNBA, who won Maya Moore said inspired her MVP performance during the All-Star Game. Please join us in welcoming back to back three-point shooting contest champion Allie Quigley of Chicago Sky. Welcome, Allie. Thank you, hey guys. <laughs> well, we're so excited to have you. Um, the the entire world. I was going to really say like those like we were blown away, the entire world was blown away by your performance um, in the three-point shooting contest. We're going to get to that in a minute, but um, we want the fans to also get to know a little bit about your background. Now, you were born and raised in Illinois, uh, went to DePaul, played for one of my favorite coaches, uh, Doug Bruno. Tell us a little bit about just when you started playing basketball through that progression into college. Uh,
3: I started probably whenever I could walk. Uh, we had a very sports-like parents. I'm from a family of four, so two girls, two boys. We were just always playing in the backyard, like girls versus boys, two on two, and eventually started at the YMCA, just playing with the boys. Um, and then just grade school, high school, and college, kind of. So i been playing, really, my whole life.
1: <laughs> so I hear I'm playing with the boys, playing with the boys. When was your first girls' team?
3: <laughs> oh, <laughs> I guess probably like grade school, maybe like third, fourth grade. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, at five years old, was
0: probably
1: with the voices. Wow! So you went on to play at DePaul, and I try to explain this to people um, about shooting in DePaul. Right? So every year, the Blue Demons are amongst the best three-point shooting teams, if not number one in the nation. Doug does not recruit you if you can't shoot okay so that's what I <laughs> tell people like you cannot go to the ball if you can't shoot the ball um, What did you learn there just about the fundamentals of the game and shooting that has helped you throughout your career?
3: Yeah I definitely learned a lot there as far as you know the fundamentals with shooting just coming off screens we had a lot of kind of an like emotion offense so just it's kind of where I started like learning to read screens. <laughs> Work and just like the basics, like passing with the outside hand, communication. He was huge on communication, so those were some big things I learned from him.
1: Yeah, it's amazing how Doug gets into the details of the game. Like you're saying, passing with your outside hand, like he almost trains his players with every part of the body. Like he talks a lot about the eyes, like how you're supposed to play with your eyes, and just your stance, like he's very particular, but I, I don't know a coach in the country that is better when it comes to fundamentals. And that's why DePaul, even though, you know, you guys aren't in a, in a power five conference, you always end up being amongst the top teams in the, in the nation. Um, you know, I just believe that. You don't always have to have necessarily 10 McDonald's All-Americans when you, when you're Doug Bruno mm-hmm. and you know what you're doing. So, <laughs> so yeah. your sister, um, Sam also played. Now you were the 22nd overall pick in the WNBA draft. Um, but you were cut by the storm prior to the part of the season. You played for five teams in five years before you got to Chicago. And this is just the m- most amazing, uh, thing about your, the progression of your career, the resilience. Give us an idea of what was happening during that time, both in your mind, in terms of your plans, and, and how were you able to finally get to a place where you would stick?
3: Um, I think, like, originally getting drafted, you go from, like, so excited, like, wow, I'm in the district. Shock when you get there, like, okay, I actually have to make this team. So I think really <laughs> quick, you learn this is a job. It's professional. Um, you're 22 years old playing against 30-year-olds. You know, for a job, it's serious. So I think that was, like, my first shock that it's for a job. And I think I wasn't necessarily ready for that as much as I wanted to be. But I think that first time I got cut, too, I thought, okay, it's over. Like, that's it. I didn't realize, like, you continue could, could continue to get picked up. So um, I think that was, like, a shock. I think the next night Phoenix called. So, you know, going to another team full of superstars, I think I was just kind of grateful to be there. Uh, when I was younger and then just getting a little bit older, you, then you start wanting to play and you start trying to figure out how you're going to, how you're going to get better, how you're going to stick. And that was kind of the progression.
1: Yeah. How did you find that niche for you, for yourself? How, what, how did you close the gap between kind of bouncing around? Like, were there things you were intentional about in your skill or fundamental, was it mental, like what, or was it just experience in the league? Like what helped yeah. you get over the hump?
3: I think it was experience and just observing. So that first year, like being in Phoenix, I got to watch Dinah Taurasi and Kepi Pondexter in their prime, just how how they could score, how they played, how they were leaders, how they passed the ball, a little bit of everything. Just being out with those two on the court, you just weren't going to play that much, so. I think I learned a lot from those two my first two years in the league, and tried to take that overseas with me, where I was going to get 30 plus over there. And then every time I came back, just tried to use that experience and learn from the players that you know were already playing so much in the WMBA and tried to figure out you know how are they doing that, and just kept working every offseason overseas, and until eventually that experience kind of met with the opportunity in Chicago.
1: Now you've obtained a Hungarian citizenship and you've played for the national team there. You're a two-time WNBA six woman of the year. Um, you've made it to the WNBA finals with the Chicago sky in 2014. First visit in, in franchise history, but you have really blown up with this three point shooting. Like, obviously you're one of the best in the league and that's why um, you're in that position in, 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 to begin with. But, back-to-back champion in the three-point competition, and you did it this year in a way that was just incredible, and this is both on the NBA side and the WNBA side. I was reading this note a moment ago where it says um Allie Quigley's 29-point round in the WNBA All-Star Three-Point Contest was better than any NBA player ever, obviously better than any WNBA set a record, better than Steph Clay, better than Larry Bird, Uh best round oh, ever. Me. You hit 20 of 25 shots, including every bonus money ball in the overtime round of this year's competition, and your 29 points actually passed Devin Booker for most in a single round. And the interesting part to me, so, you know, you make it to the finals and then you and Kayla McBride, you tie and you have to go into the overtime. You had to shoot back to back. Was I, was I just confused about that? Like the moment that they said, now Allie is back up to shoot first after you had just shot,
3: what was going through your yeah. mind then? I am mean, like, what is this? But, you know, that's the rule is I think when you're the lowest score, you just got to shoot right away. So. I just tried to give myself a little pep talk, like, okay, you're not tired, just fly, got this, you know, but I'm on my first shot. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> so, luckily, we were able to tie, and we got another round.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You definitely picked it up big time. And, and, is there a strategy? Like, did you practice coming into the weekend? Um, you know, what kind of things were you doing to get ready for it?
3: Um, I think I was just – I did a couple of spot shooting. Had my teammates holding the ball because we didn't have all the racks, so just had them holding it and tried to go from spot to spot. But in general, I shoot spots like that. Every day. I usually shoot five five threes from each spot, so had a lot of practice. It's just you know a lot different when there's fifteen thousand people watching and it's five four three two one go. So you've right. you gotta kind of be relaxed and confident in those moments.
1: Yeah, I mean, you just—I've—I've I referred to you as a machine. That's what it looked like. I mean, you had the same form every time, and you were just loaded and ready to go. As you look hindsight at that experience, you know, your family was there. Maya pretty much dedicated her MVP award <laughs> to you. Like, there was Twitter was going crazy. Like, what what is was the most memorable moment for you of of that of of this past weekend?
3: Um, I would say just the second after that third round ended, just seeing all the All-Stars just swore me. That was just so cool. I just wasn't expecting that. Just to have all their support was just amazing. And then, like I said, my family looking up and seeing them just going crazy. I mean, nothing's as good without people, like, supporting you and um, enjoying the experience with you. So I think both the All-Stars and my family, that was, like, the best part, having them just be so excited.
1: Yeah, like I, I saw Diana Terrazzi come over and like grab you around the neck. I was like, Diana, whoa, calm down in case she has to in. <laughs> like you're oh, still god. second half I of the like, game. Yeah. 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 And I was like,
2: oh my god, she ran there first. It
3: was awesome.
1: Yeah. Was cool. Yeah, that was awesome. And you put up great numbers. I mean, I had you on my little low key MVP list. Um <laughs> you had eighteen points. You were four for twelve. And um in your second straight all star game appearance. I wanted to ask you before we get off of this topic, um, every year uh, that you've won a three-point competition, um, you donate your $10,000 to the Patrick Quigley Memorial Scholarship Fund at Joliet Catholic Academy. Each player picks um, some community endeavor if they are to win that they would give their $10,000 to. And um, tell us a little bit about that and, and why you, you chose that for your uh, beneficiary.
3: Yeah, this Memorial Scholarship is for my dad, who passed away when I was younger, and it's been around for um, probably five to ten years-ish so far, and it's just for students who are unable to um, afford the private tuition and just uh, have that experience. He went to that school, and so did um, my siblings and I, so it's just a way to kind of... Yeah, I was
1: actually reading a quote from you where, um, you said, I think about him right before I start shooting, referring to your dad. So that's probably the reason why I'm able to win it. And I told someone actually after you wanted this last time, I said, no one else may ever win it. <laughs> you don't understand what that kind of motivation does. I mean, I'm a daddy's girl, you know, and obviously I'm definitely so- sorry about the passing of your dad, but I can't imagine how that just, inspires you every time you get in that situation. So I think that's so cool. Um, We have a few Twitter questions for you before we let you go, Allie. Um, Anthony? All
0: right, ladies, first one's from Maria Pamela Mentado. What was the hardest part about being in and out of the league in the beginning of your career?
3: Um, I think the hardest part was just questioning myself, my confidence kind of getting pretty small and just questioning, do I even belong here? Like, do I need to give this up? I think that was probably the hardest part, just not thinking I belong.
0: Next one's from WNBA Weekly. If you had one piece of shooting advice for young players, what would it be?
3: Um, One piece of advice. I would say uh, master the fundamentals at a young age because, you know, once you get older, it's really hard to change your shot. So I would say, you know, when you're young, really master the fundamentals, whether, whether it's doing the beef, the balance, elbow, eyes, follow through. Just get really good form at a young age.
0: And the last one comes from Chicago Sky Fr. Who inspired you to think I want to play basketball for a living?
3: I think my parents. They were both coaches. They both played not just basketball, but every sport you can think of. So I was just been around it since I was young, and I just kind of wanted to be just like them. So I'd say both my parents.
1: Nice. Well, thank you so much to our Twitter fans. And and Allie, before I let you go, we have to ask you about the Chicago Sky. Your backcourt mate. Uh, Courtney Vandersloot, my goodness, is killing it oh, right yeah. now. Oh yeah, said Hey, like, um, hey. So, <laughs> no, I said hey, Sloot. I mean, she was she was awesome too. <laughs> hey, she had on the throwback Adidas Allie Quigley from last year, the jersey at the at the competition. I was like, we need to get a shot of this. This might be the right? winning formula, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, we like, but
3: so we got to bring it back. <laughs>
1: It was very good luck, and that I like that. I like that she stuck with the Adidas. You got, you can't change up. You know, you never know how that may affect the shooting form. Um, but you know, you guys uh, have really hit like a a little bit of steam here in this stretch of the season. Um, you two obviously playing well. Cheyenne Parker's having a breakout season. I know Stephanie Dolson's been kind of in and out injury the shields um kind of what has the season been like and, and what is on your minds right now as you hit this home stretch
3: um we're just trying to work on being like the most consistent team for 40 minutes we know that earlier on in the year we struggled with that we would have you know two really good quarters of three and then that one quarter would always get us so that's really our focus is just trying to play really competitive and consistent for 40 minutes
1: yeah, it's I, I remember before coming into the season, I was looking at your team and I was like, oh, boy, they are really young. So I know, yeah. you know, after after having similar situations, you know, in Phoenix, for example, a couple of years ago when Diana was dealing with a lot of youth and Sue, you know, bringing in two number one picks, but not having a lot of experience there that you know, you're relied on heavily and Courtney and, and Dolson to help bring everyone else along, um, and that can be a little bit of a process. But I think everyone, even though you guys are, you know, out of the playoff picture at this very moment, everybody's like, well, don't – Chicago's dangerous. I mean, you guys got have some really good pieces, and the way that things have gone in this league, you just never know. So um, it's been fun watching you guys, and thank you for chatting with us, Allie. No problem. Thanks for
3: having me.
1: Fans, how fantastic was Allie Quigley? We're so grateful that she made the time for us to be on Around the Rim. Stay right where you are because in the third quarter, we're going to bring in Dan Olson, our ESPNW girls basketball scouting expert, um, who's going to talk a little bit about recruiting and give us an idea of how things have been going on that end so we can talk about the future stars that will one day play in the WNBA All-Star Game. We also have ESPN. Coordinating producer Rodney Vaughn in the fourth quarter. That should be fun um, as we recap with him just how things look so wonderful during the WNBA All Star broadcast, all the access, and also just the ratings being up for ESPN. So, a lot to discuss. Remember, if you want to reach Tariqa and I, we now have a Twitter handle at Around the Rim Pod. If you want to, Send us a tweet. Um, you can also email us, um, around the rim podcast at gmail.com. Remember to subscribe, comment, share the podcast with a friend as we continue to grow the game. Stay right where you are. We'll be back after this.
2: Third quarter
4: scouting report.
1: All right, basketball fans, it's the third quarter, and when I say scouting report, we are getting ready to get the real scoop. Now, one thing Tarika and I have set out to do this summer is, yes, we're definitely covering the WNBA because that's summer basketball. Um, But summer basketball is also a U for girls. Um, When we talk about the world of of Women's basketball. It starts with girls basketball, high school, AU, and um, one of our major missions is to is to grow the game. And and one way we think we can do that is to connect all levels of the game. So we're excited to do somewhat of a recap of the big July recruiting month um, with our very own recruiting specialist with ESPNW. Please join me in welcoming to the show Dan Olson. Welcome in, Dan.
0: Thanks for having me, LaChina. Delighted to be here.
1: Well, you are a respected leader in the field of, of women's basketball. You have a coaching background, and, and now you've used that experience to um, do a, a lot of things really in the world of recruiting, evaluating the top players in the country, and just providing some of the most comprehensive and accurate player critiques for coaches nationwide. Just give our listeners some idea of what your background is and how you got into um, doing what you're doing now.
0: Well, um wow, I can take you all the way back to my childhood when I think uh it may have started where I was a, a huge ACC men's basketball nut. Um watched whenever I could back in the day, um you know, Carolina and Maryland back in the John Lucas days, you know, and and uh I could probably recite everybody's name on every roster from anybody in the ACC. Wow. And um I guess that kind of carried over to, um, you know, what I'm doing now. But, uh, you know, in between those two points, I I got the coaching bug. And it was a high school player that carried it over into my local community college, which was a powerhouse on the men's side. And, and I got an opportunity from um, the coach there that uh, opened many, many doors. And that's how it works.
1: I love that you started with the ACC, obviously with me playing (sighs) at wake forest and, you know, still covering the ACC. It just has a special place in my heart. Now it's changed and morphed a little bit from the days when you start watching and I played, um, Mm -hmm. you know, with conference realignment, but, um, pure college basketball that has done so much for the game at so many levels. So how would you describe what it is you do? Because I look, I, I was actually looking at some information on you earlier, and I know obviously you're our resident scout, um, you know, with when it comes to girls' basketball and evaluator, but you also have the collegiate girls' basketball report. How does that work for you, balancing the two?
0: Well, uh, they kind of work hand-in-hand. Hand. Um The uh, Collegiate Girls Basketball Report, uh, just, I believe, starting maybe its 12th year. um, About five or so years ago, ESPN reached out, ESPNW reached out, and um, it's been a happy marriage ever since. Um, I think I give them some credibility, uh, some consistency to their evaluations, And how does that happen? Well, when you're out, say, 50 weeks of the year watching girls basketball throughout the country, you're going to see a continuous process of evaluations on players time and time and time again. Yeah, sure, some new, but then a lot of them uh, among the the elite players in the country, probably I've viewed them over – 40 times in their career as a high school middle school to high school player. So I got a pretty good feel for where they fall and um, that's what it's all about accuracy and uh, that's why they're the worldwide leader.
1: Well, I, I, it's interesting. Fifty weeks—that's a lot of work, and <laughs> that's a lot of basketball. Mm. I'm going to stop playing on my planes together. and a lot of
0: hotel rooms. Exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. Give us an idea of what the calendar looks like for you, which would also maybe give us an idea of what the calendar is like in girls' basketball.
0: Well, I think years ago, where it was was, um, you know, you'd have your April evaluation period. You'd have your your July, which would basically run from late June all the way into early August, for that matter. It would be a continuous process. And then you'd have a fall evaluation. Um, and, and in between those months, you know, the, the month of August and September, um, there really wasn't much going on. And, and even, you know, through the, the February and March, once those high school seasons would be completed, that was about it, but now with the way club basketball has taken off, uh, the day after players get done with their high school season, they're into their club season, and it goes constant, nonstop. So um, th- there's virtually an event that I could go to every weekend of the year, all over the place. They're 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 everywhere. It seems like there's a real rage for individual camps pop up here, there, and everywhere. But uh, yeah, travel team events, whether the coaches are out or not, I think that uh, that's kind of the bread and butter of what I do because I get great evaluations from those, those weekends where I'm uninterrupted and I can really evaluate and watch the players compete.
1: I have a million questions when it comes to this because, you know, I've been hearing things about, you know, high school basketball maybe not being, become, being as, as relevant to some players in their, you know, quest for a college scholarship that, you know, a lot of players are putting more focus on AAU. Um, but I want to ask, when you look at that calendar, because it scared me when you say the day after high school, then AAU starts, because I know that I think July is a lot of basketball for these kids. Right. But you have a mm-hmm. scope of what the entire year is like. Is that is that healthy for these kids to be going from one season to the next? Are they playing too many games in July? Like what are the conversations around, you know, student athlete wealth, welfare and wellness um, when it mm-hmm. comes to the calendar?
0: Yeah, that's a valid point. And um, I think it's up to the individual, the parent, the player, um, the club team itself to determine, hey, how many games are good games and how many events are good events um, do we need to go there? And um, I I look, you know, parents, parents can go broke doing this stuff. I mean, if they want to go out and play enough and and, yeah, you get a certain degree of burnout. Um, and when you get tired and that sort of thing, then injury starts to creep in. So uh, I think there's a fine line. But, look, there's some events that I go to, and there's some teams that I see much more than others simply because they're they're out. They're in it. And, um, they, you know, they've got multiple teams, and they want to give their – their players who are paying to be on those teams as much opportunity to be seen as possible. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I, I get that. And, you know, I think my major concern comes from the fact that I don't see as much character, career, community development with these young women as we do on the court. And, Another topic we can totally get into, which I can already tell we're going to have to have you back like, you know, the next couple of months, at least once a mm-hmm. month to kind of push through some of this. But, you know, the other concern is just, um, you know, I. I, I Okay, we'll get into that. Let me let's let me push forward with some of this agenda because I can have complaints all day. Okay, so <laughs> with with that in mind, you know this whole process of how it works. We're just coming off of July and and also USA Basketball. You know, um U seventeen mm-hmm. team having great success. How do those pieces fit in our work with USA Basketball, and then what's happening on the AU circuit? And then I'm gonna take it one step further, which I know makes this really complicated but i'm seeing just how some of the apparel companies are also impacting you know what's happening with these athletes on the girls basketball side not as much as the men but where are they in that scope so i guess you know we can talk usa um and then apparel companies um in their impact
0: well, first of all, congratulations to the USA team for yes. not only winning, but dominating while they were winning.
1: Yes. I got to watch some of the games. I was like, wow, this is not even a game.
0: <laughs> like, yeah. fun. It, it was, it was impressive. And uh, I wish I was, would have been there to be able to watch it, but I'm going to catch up on some of those games. I've watched a, f- a few bits and pieces thus far, but um Look, it's only 12 players that are not playing in July that are impacting that situation overall during the month of July. Um, You know, with those 12 elite players not playing, well, heck, there's still a lot of players that are playing. So it really hasn't impacted USA basketball, that is, during the month of July. It's just provided other opportunity for those that, are on those teams that are you know missing those players to step up. Mm-hmm. So I don't hope. see that there's any real problem in that respect.
1: Do you think, and I'm going to take us, I know we're going to, we'll get to the apparel in a moment, but I was looking at some of the coaches feeds and they were, you know, in Belarus and, you know, just traveling and, and even in what I do in college, I'm talking to coaches and they're really fascinated with the international game. Um, mm-hmm. how has that changed the scope of what you do from an, uh, evaluating a scouting standpoint that there seems to be more influx of international talent coming into the college system
0: oh yeah this has been prevalent now for the last few years maybe even longer and i mean look it all started back in the day i mean you know old dominion florida international um they were kind of like the pioneers into the international scene back in the day um now you have Oregon you have St. Mary's in Northern California uh, South Florida um, just to name a few there's a lot of them I mean they're scattered throughout you know so uh, to say the influx of international players coming into the college market now um, not not making an impact is is a complete falsity I mean it's It's their college coaches now more and more of them are going overseas to find players. And why are they doing that? Well, they feel like there's not enough good players here in the States that maybe they don't have to fight enough to recruit that higher quality player. That's maybe in the Netherlands or in New Zealand or wherever they may be. And um, yeah, sure. It's extra money but they feel like, hey, look, we're going we're gonna to bank this, uh, this opportunity and in, in, in hope for the best that we can get a real star player out of it. So, um, you know, college coaches now are, are more under pressure than ever before to succeed, um, whereas years ago maybe that wasn't such the case. Well, now you got to win. you got to win. you got to have kids go to school. they gotta, they got to meet all of these requirements. But the coaches are getting paid in the process too, so you know you gotta you gotta hustle you really gotta work at it so um I think it's great in in the fact that um you know like Syracuse has made a real step forward even from their national championship run there that they they almost had there a, a couple of years ago I mean they have really gotten some elite European players and um it'll be interesting to see how they go here through this year coming up, but um, everybody's in on it and it's, it's part of the game. And and that's what I tell the, the young players through the middle school ranks now here in the States that look, if you don't want to work on your game, that's fine because there's somebody in Europe or uh, you know, South America or wherever they may be, that's working on their game. that's going to take that spot from you if you're not watching out. So you got to work at what you're doing, and um, bottom line is it's a business, you know. And yeah. um, college college women's basketball is more on the cutting edge now, and I think more prevalent to people than ever before.
1: You know, when I have conversations with coaches about the international game, the biggest thing they say is that there's not the same level of skill development happening at the grassroots you know, high school AAU for girls in the U.S. as they feel like there is internationally, right? So even at the mm-hmm. highest levels, when you look at, say, a Liz Cambage, right, who is is six eight, right. but shoots threes, has just a different level of skill. You know, when I talk to Erin Phillips, she says, well, in Australia, we do a lot more individual work, you know. Um, and, and so everybody has their different system. But the bottom line is coaches are saying that these AAU players here in the States aren't really being taught, right? That decisions about teams and positions and everything is kind of politically controlled, whether that is the apparel mm-hmm. companies or, um, you know, just so many different variables that come into play when it comes to the time that's spent maybe even teaching, you know, like mm-hmm. what these AAU coaches are doing in practice um, is often dictated by things that aren't, centered on the the best interests of the of the student athlete but you called you called the system a broken machine and I know there are so many levels that we probably won't get into um, but what what are your main concerns when you say a broken machine from your standpoint what's broken about what's happening with the system right now
0: well I think you touched a a bit on it Um, were the middle school players aren't getting that needed attention of the fundamentals. Like kids used to go to basketball camp for five or six days back in the day. Now they don't go to basketball camp. They go to exposure events. Well, what are they doing at the exposure events? They're just playing. They're not being taught the correct skills. And I think that's a deterioration in the overall game. And I think that's probably the most important part of why the machine is broken. You know? The other part of it. Yeah, sure. There's, there's event operators that make money and everybody's, you know, college coaches always complaining about the packets and all that sort of thing. But look, it's a free enterprise system here, you know, and people can charge what they want to charge. And then it's up to you whether or not you want to go to it, you know, um, the size of the events, some of the events now are seven to 900 teams, um, look, more power to those people that make those events happen. I mean, it's, it's an event in itself to see it unfold. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. But it's difficult for, say, those teams that are on some of those courts, say court 75, to be able to get seen. And, you know, maybe they're not there for for that opportunity to be seen. Maybe they're just part of the enjoyment of the process. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's another part that maybe needs to get looked at, Like, but I don't know what you can do with it. You know, uh, We're shrinking the number of days now in the month of July to watch players play, um, which I think is, I mean, I don't know if it affects me or not because the events will probably run anyway, whether the coaches are there or not.
1: Starting next year?
0: Yeah. Uh the recruiting cycle for next July where you'll have the initial seven days just like we had this past month, and then ten days off, but now instead of another seven, they've cut it back two days to five. So it's mm-hmm. seven ten five in the month of July for twenty nineteen. And that's um, happening
1: because
0: Um You know, I don't really know why. Uh my my thought is that maybe they feel that there's too many games played. Kids are playing too often. Um, I hear, I hear two sides of it. I hear, well, the large schools, the the, the, the elite the elite programs out there don't want to be out in the gym uh, for 25 days of the year in July, um, versus the small to mid Division one programs that need to be in the gym because they're recruiting and evaluating far more many prospects than those top 25 schools are. So, you know, it's a, it's a win lose, you know, it depends on where you are. So those schools really got to hustle, you know, that are Mm -hmm. out there that are having just those 12 days now to watch kids and and determine where they're going to, you know, fall, if they're going to offer a scholarship, because now there's no fall calendar at all. There used to be a fall period where you could get one final look, maybe, at kids playing. You don't have that now. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this all unfolds. And, and I think that plays in somewhat to the transfer problem that we have. I mean, and, and mm-hmm. that's another part of the machine that's broken, see, is. There's too many kids transferring. Well, why are they transferring? Uh, maybe there's because there's too many college scholarship opportunities. Well, you want to give everybody an opportunity, you know, and, and young women deserve the opportunity, but some of the schools are giving out these scholarships, and they, sh- they probably shouldn't be giving 14 and 15 at such a school that may never play that player, and then that player leaves. Whereas maybe they should have gone to a mid division one or a lower division one, it's it's pure conjecture on my part, you know. But I see that that's part of the problem of why kids are leaving schools, you know.
1: Yes. Um, yeah. Um.
0: But that's a In, whole other conversation.
1: Well, and it's a conversation I definitely want to have, and I know Tarika is making me rap now, but I want to say this off of that point, point. and then we would love to have you back on the show in the next few weeks to to kind of talk about more of this, but um, y- love to. a couple things. Yeah, a couple things. So, you know, you mentioned the event operator thing, you know, and mm-hmm. and how that is Uh, becoming a problem, you know, the the type of money that these coaches are having to spend. Because, yeah, you can say you don't have to go to the event, but the reality is if you want to recruit the best players – you have to be where the rest of the coaches are. So it becomes a competition sure. things, but is, is it mm-hmm. outrageous or do these co- college programs have the money? You know, is it maybe, should it be a tiered payment system for the mid majors versus some of the, um, you know, power five conference schools because the budgets are different? Um, would love to explore more of that in our next conversation and then even. You know, um, you know, to your last point about the transferring, I just find that I don't know that there is an unbiased system that's teaching the current girls' players and their parents how this decision should be made about what college you're going to. I use this or you're you you're you're gonna be interested or you're gonna do your your visits with i I tell the story all the time on this show about my mom who um brilliant woman I mean my mother. Graduated high school in 16 years, you know, wasn't uh, a college, well, 16 years, meaning she was 16 years old, didn't play college sports, but, you know, got a degree from GW, was the first college graduate in in her family. Uh, But when it came to me getting recruited by Wake Forest, the best that she could do for me was pull out her magnifying glass and read really closely my my agreement, you know, when I signed my NLI, because that's what she does. Mm -hmm. She dots the I, cross the T's, but if I was at practice and they were playing me at point guard, my mom wouldn't know. If I was at practice and, you know, um, no one was really coaching me or a coach was maybe, I don't know, you know, it, thank goodness none of these things happened with me. I had a great experience, but my mom would not have known. Her The one thing my mother would say at at practice or at, wouldn't even come to practice, she couldn't, you know, she had five kids. So I had to ride to mm-hmm. AU practice with my friends, but she'd come to games and she would say, Jump! And that's the one thing she would always say to me, like she wanted to make sure I was rebounding. But I just say that to say, I don't know that there's enough education happening. And that could be part of why we're seeing the transfers, because these kids and these parents are maybe listening to some opinions that they shouldn't be about where they're going to school. Last but not least, and we'll get to the apparel on our next visit, but I have to ask you. Have you done your rankings for July? If not, can you tell us where your top 10 players stand? Meaning, who are the top 10 players of, you know, the, the 20, I guess we're in 2019 class is the next big class, right? Or is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. 2019. Okay. Who, who are the, your top 10 must see players and how can, our listeners check out the next generation. We just had the WNBA all-star game. Who are the players that could be playing in that? And what are their opportunities to see them play in some shape, form or fashion here in the near future?
0: Well, um, if you were to tune into the FIBA website and probably watch a reset of one of the women's games, like the gold medal game, you're going to see some of these names that are at the top of the 2019 list for, um, ESPNW Hoop Girls that are going to be those stars in college in the years ahead. Um, Haley Jones out of California, Archbishop Mitty, um, who was an all tournament team selection in, uh, in the world uh, championships there. Um, Aliyah Boston, uh, who's the premier center in the country. Uh, kind of a neat feel good story. Um, you know from the she's a caribbean girl that um gosh just a few years ago was not a very polished player that just all of a sudden just exploded um on the scene and has just continued to to be a dominant force and jordan horston um this is the mvp now of the of the gold medal game and um a freak athlete from ohio uh off the charts potential I would say probably the in-state team of Ohio State may lead in that uh, quest for getting Jordan, but uh, that remains to be seen. Um, and one of the best players that wasn't on the team, I'll, I'll say two, um, one's already committed to Maryland, Ashley Owusu, a point guard, uh, who didn't make that national team. But the other one, Rakia Jackson out of Detroit, Michigan, um 6'2", small forward, can play a little bit inside, but explosive, can score off the dribble, shoot it deep. I mean, this kid has got the complete package of the offensive side of the ball, and, um, you know, she's being highly recruited by virtually everybody, I would suspect. So, uh, but there's still of of the you know ten players, say in the top ten in the class. There's still half of them that have been uncommitted at this point.
1: Great. Well, we will definitely keep our eyes on those players, and we look forward to our next visit, Dan. Yeah, thanks for all your work, and we'll, we look forward to talking more about girls basketball. Thank you for everything. We know you put a lot of energy into, you know, like you said, fifty weeks of travel, a crazy July. So hopefully, you get some rest, and we'll talk to you again
0: soon. Sounds good.
2: Fourth quarter, out of bounds. It's our growing the game segment in which we are highlighting people who are continually growing the game of women's basketball in their own individual ways. And today we have one of our own. We have ESPN's uh, WNBA on ESPN coordinating producer. Two-time national Emmy award winner, producer for NBA college basketball. Low key, I heard he's Lachina's boss, but we don't know. We gon' we don't find out during this interview. <laughs> Rodney Vaughn is joining us today. Hey, Rodney. Hey,
4: Tarika.
1: And I get to hear Rodney's voice not in my ear saying, only two questions, only two questions. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Around the Rim, Rodney. We've been wanting to have you on the show for a while because um, we get all kinds of fan mail, and obviously Tariq and I are keeping up on the growth of the WNBA. And viewership ratings are up through the roof for this league, and you have been leading the charge um, as the coordinating producer. You do so much from – um, being the connection with the league to obviously with us as talent to, you know, just all the different things that are happening. I mean, even looking at this year, you've done so many things in game to give us different views of what's happening in the WNBA from your players only broadcast to um, you know, having Rebecca and Kara on two different sides of the bench during a game, which was fantastic mm-hmm. uh, WNBA all-star. The, the feedback we've been getting is the player access has been tremendous from player mics to today with three point contest in game interviews. So anyway, just wanted to give the fans an idea of all of you do, but you tell us um, what are your main responsibilities in this position?
4: Uh, let's see. Uh, kind of to oversee the entire production, uh, budget, uh, promotion, and also managing our relationship, ESPN's relationship with the WNBA itself. Um, we basically coordinate with the uh, league at the beginning of every season or a couple of months before the season uh, what our schedule is going to look like, um, what their promotional and marketing campaign will consist of, and how that fits into what we want to do at ESPN uh, to promote the game itself uh, and how we can enhance our broadcasts in conjunction with the league. So realistically, all the things that you named before uh, this year were kind of ideas that we talked about with the league and kind of discussed internally how we could make those things happen, uh, specifically the Legends game with uh, Rebecca Lobo, Carol Lawson, and Lisa Leslie. That was a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. And then even going back to the beginning of the year when we did put uh, Kara Lawson and Rebecca Lobo beside the two benches in a game that had Los Angeles at Connecticut. You know, we look for opportunities to give the viewer something else that's different and you know, at the same time, still keeping the mantra of documenting the game, you know. Um, so those ideas of you know, or ones that we sit around and we think about and we confer with the league and they like them. We like them. They, uh, been successful. And this year the ratings have been up because of, I like to think because of some of those ideas. So, <laughs> you know, it's been a lot of fun. I've been on the, the, the W for three years now and, um uh, working with people like LaChina and Ryan and Rebecca and Pam. And this year, Kara has been a lot of fun for me.
1: When you look at, when we get those notices, Rodney, because we've gotten them for the draft and got, we got them earlier this year for another t- telecast that, you know, the ratings were through the roof or we get them for, you know, 20% increase almost on ABC for viewership coming off the All-Star game. Um, what does that mean for the sport? And what does that, you know, we always hear people say, okay, can we have more games on ESPN? What, what do these increased ratings mean, um, for the WNBA?
4: Uh, it, it means a number of things. It means that the viewers are tuning in, first of all. That's the obvious thing. They're turning their televisions and watching the games. They're watching the All-Star Game. They're tuning in for those events. But it, what it also means is that I think the viewers are starting to recognize that the WNBA is an extremely entertaining product, and it's very, very competitive. Um, sometimes I don't even know if it comes across on television the way it does in person. Mm-hmm. The games are so much more exciting, uh, when you see things in person. But at the same time, viewers who I think are new to the league, I think these numbers probably re- reflect, uh, some new viewers to the WNBA, uh, which is what we want to do. We want to bring in new viewers. I think there are a group of, uh, fans. Who are hardcore WNBA fans? I don't think we'll ever lose them. It's always the um, the push and the, the the way you go about trying to get new viewers to come to the to the league to tune in to watch the games. And I do think that is happening uh, this season. Um, I think there are a lot of different factors. I know ESPN. We've increased our promotion of the uh, the league itself. We've also increased. Um, the number of times and opportunities is we're reaching out to talk with players and have players live on SportsCenter and things of that nature. Um, so I think that, along with the incredible season that's going on right now, um, we're so competitive in the league, I think that's all a culmination of why these ratings are up. Um, and that's a good thing for the league, and it's a good thing for ESPN.
2: So I, one of our fans wrote into us and talked about how one of the things that works with marketing and um kind of putting the league on the map in the nba is the pop culture references that we have what i really loved um earlier this season is for a lot of the wnba ads that we aired on espn they had people like Dej loaf doing some of the music and things like that mm-hmm. um um are you ever in the conversations with how we we integrate pop culture more in some of those other celebrities more into our women's game from a television perspective um here within our company
4: I am...
1: Wait a minute, Tarika. You didn't hear that music during the All-Star game.
2: <laughs> I did no I I, music back First now. of all, Rodney was Rodney was on it first of all <laughs> the the all-star game was popping and I I was a little in my <laughs> feelings because I wasn't there right but having all the access that we had to the players and listening to everybody mic'd up like I felt like I was there and here's a little tidbit of information right so I'm texting Chanae mm-hmm. I'm like Chanae first of all why is short so short that's first of all <laughs> second of all aren't you how are you texting me back aren't you supposed to be paying attention to what's going on in the game that's so true. it was just so much okay. fun like i really felt like i was in i felt like i was in minneapolis right so thank you personally for all yes, of the access
1: yeah, we love the music. Uh, I know we Rodney and I have these conversations. We were but every time they would do a roll out, you know, another song. Come on, I'm like, yes. yes! So sorry, Rodney. <laughs> I'll let you answer, but yes, to that point, the the cultural integration.
4: No, it's um, it's funny because when I first started on the project a couple of years ago, I was doing college basketball and got the opportunity during the tournament to work with Sue Bird, mm-hmm. and Sue and I were having a conversation. I'm like, you know so this would be my going into my second year on, on the project. You know, what do you, I was asking her just point blank. What do they like about our telecast? What did they not like? And she was like, we're all cool kids and we're hip. We want music,
2: right? You know, and
4: that's <laughs> one of the things that kind of stuck with me and resonated with me is that, you know, the league is full of young players. Um, and, and they are very into social media, very into what's popular right now. Uh, as far as music as far as clothing mm-hmm. everything um so i'm involved with basically everything that we do on the w and it's been one of the things um that i kind of would like to have more of is just different music so mm-hmm. i think this year when we when we did our promo campaign we used a very um very hip hop oriented cut um, for to promote our next game every week mm-hmm. and then we just had a shoot and i can't give away all of this okay so Scoop, we just yeah. had a shoot yesterday in raleigh north carolina with an artist who is on a certain record label <laughs> who's owned by Beyonce's better half uh-oh so, anyway, she, um, okay. she
2: okay. Exclusive. She wrote a new
4: song for us, and that's going to be our theme song for the entire playoffs, and that'll debut on August twenty first when the playoffs begin. Nice.
1: Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome, Rodney. I I know that we you have to go because you have another meeting, but I, I think I just think it's important for our listeners to understand that you know when they see that there's a a Friday show before All Star or that we have a finals pregame show with the set there or we're l- watching Maya Moore do a talk back with Scott Van Pelt, um, you know, or we see players on Sports Center post game, like all of those little. Things that seem may, you may overlook, um, someone's fighting for behind the scenes, whether it's you or Carol Stiff or, you know, in conjunction with the league, that those are the kind of marketing and promotion things that we have not had consistently, um, in the WNBA that show growth, that show a, a greater commitment. Now, yes, we have a long ways to go, but, um, all of that goes into what we're seeing in terms of the increased ratings. And one last thing I wanted to ask you about, Rodney and this is um a little bit, you know, Tariq and I have been passionate about this as we're having conversations about how to grow the game. You know, the league is 75% women of color. And, you know, we often have conversations about the people behind the scenes and it's rare to have a a woman or a man of color in a production seat. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to maybe some that want to follow in your footsteps about how you've navigated your career, you know, worked at Turner, um, Tariq put your Emmys out there earlier, but, yeah. Um, just any career advice for people that um, would want to be a part of that experience behind the scenes and and following your, your footsteps.
4: Um, I I think the biggest piece of advice, a couple of things. Um, First of all, have a plan of what it is that you want to do and stick to your plan. Um, The second thing is, you better have a competitive streak in you Mm -hmm. because there are people in this industry who realistically will do anything they can to get ahead of you. And you better be just as uh, competitive about that. And I think the other, the last thing that I would say is when somebody gives you an opportunity to do something and you might feel, well, it's not exactly what I want to do better take that opportunity Mm -hmm. don't turn it down take that opportunity use it do the best you can with it because when somebody feels that you turned down an opportunity they gave you they're going to give it to somebody Somebody else else. Mm -hmm. and they just that that's just an opportunity that you lost and you never know where it could have taken you so i think those are the things um that i would say you know kind of helped me in this industry is that, you know, when somebody asked me to do something, I'm jumping at anything. When someone two years ago, uh, two and a half years ago, asked me to take over the WNBA, become the coordinating producer of it. I literally answered that question within the first 30 seconds of them asking me, I didn't really truly have to think too hard about it. Um, now, granted some of that was my passion for, for the game of basketball, but realistically, I knew this was an opportunity for me that if I turned it down, somebody else was going to take it. And, uh, you know, it's proven to be a good decision for me. And that's why I think anyone should approach it the same way is that opportunities come very, very seldom and you better take advantage of them.
1: Well, you have definitely run with it, and um, we appreciate all of your hard work. I get to see it firsthand, and I know Tarika's had some interaction with you as well. You, you've pubbed around the rim on some games. We don't I miss those it. moments. So, <laughs> thank you for your support of our podcast and everything you're doing to grow women's basketball. And uh, we're glad you're part of it.
4: So, I thank I can, you. Th- that means I can um, promote tomorrow night the podcast. And have like a graphic. And, and, and it have, says the producer. Yeah, and have your yeah. name
2: on it. There you
1: yes, go. Yes, you're on it. That's right. You can put your name on the graphic because Rodney has officially put his stamp on around the rim, And hopefully it won't be the last time. China, you, know? you and I again. just
2: pulled off the most perfect marketing scheme ever <laughs> without even knowing
1: it. Now it's definitely getting in because he's on the show and producing. So that, that'll work. But hopefully we can have you back sometime, Rodney. And thank you so much again for everything.
4: Thank you for having me. This has been a pleasure.
1: Well, fans, that is our show for today. I just want to remind you that you can watch these incredible women night in and night out on the WNBA League Pass. Um, You can download it, Apple, Samsung, Android, whatever you prefer. Uh, Make sure you're watching games, ESPN, checking your local your local stations. Um, watch these women work. It's really phenomenal how they're playing at such a high level. I expect the most competitive ending to any regular season and playoffs that we've ever seen as the standings are tight as ever. Um, and just stay engaged. You know, I think the goal this year was to try to not only bring in new fans to the WNBA, but also go from casual to fans that are just diehard. We need more diehard WNBA fans, and um, we love the way you represent on Twitter and Facebook and everything, standing up for these women. They're fantastic. Um, they are as advertised, and we just thank you for your support of Around the Rim. Um, don't forget, our podcast, you can download, subscribe, whatever your podcast app is, find Around the Rim. You will get a notification every time we drop a new episode, um, but rate us, comment, comment, send us questions we love this and we love the game and we really appreciate you joining us thank you to tarika foster brasby my fantastic producer and anthony who so graciously stepped in to help us record thanks so much fans we will talk to you next week